You're listening to our weekly podcast, Getting in the Word with Stuart Guthrie. Stuart is the teaching pastor of Family Bible Fellowship of Ridgeville in Early Branch, South Carolina. We hope to grow together with you, seeking real knowledge from the truth, the Word of God. Here's Stuart. Well, we started just a couple of weeks ago on Nehemiah. The Lord had put it on my heart and we had talked about uh, the, the importance of prayer. Really, three sermons that I began in this. One of them I did not teach here, but rather online. And uh, we, we dealt with some verses that was in reality showing us that we all have different perspectives uh, about things in life. And we could notice how Nehemiah, in the face of these difficult times, had a proper perspective. He had been visited, if you remember, by a few men and his brother. They came all the way to Susa to visit this man who they knew God had chose for the job. It was the month of Chislev. They came uh, to seek out Nehemiah. And it was November, December. It was cold. And they couldn't just hop on Delta Airline. But rather, they traveled over 800 miles like from here to St. Louis, to seek out this man for help. And so when they approached Nehemiah, we saw the first thing that he did. He focused on the people. He didn't focus on the projects or the building. Rather, he put his focus on the human beings in distress. This is where the Lord began to encourage me, Stuart, (laughs) don't be so concerned about things. Don't be so concerned about space. Don't be so concerned about the projects. Rather, focus on people. God will build His church and the gates of hell will not destroy it. If He provides the people, He'll provide the space, right? And so when we begin seeing Nehemiah, he begins to pray for the people. I want you to look at verse 4 of Nehemiah chapter 1, because we see that indeed he did have a proper perspective. When Hananiah in verse 3 said to him, they, when, he, when, he, uh, when he asked how the people were doing, they said to him, the remnant there in the province of those who survived the captivity are in great distress and a reproach. And the walls of Jerusalem are down. And so I entitled that message, Having a Proper Perspective. And God's timing is always perfect. And over the last few weeks, from verse 4 to verse 11, I divided these into three sermons. The first one was the reaction of Nehemiah and how he responded. The second was the request of Nehemiah based on the information that he had received. And then the third one today is the remembrance of Nehemiah. The reaction there in verse 4, I want you to notice five things that took place when he had heard the news. What does it say? That first he sat down and he, when he had heard the news, all he could do was park it. Secondly, he wept over the issue at hand. 
When is the last time that we have truly, personally wept over a circumstance, a, a distress of those in whom we love and care for? We notice this leader wept over the people and the city. Thirdly, he mourned because of the message. And then we see that that connectivity between four and five was that he fasted and prayed. They kind of go together like peanut butter and jelly. Uh, without it, you just have peanut butter and without it, you have jelly. Both are good, but when you put them together, it's dynamite with a little milk. <laughs> Let me remind you, all of these are great qualities of a good leader. Nehemiah was broken. He was saddened. He cried over the people. Not only the people, but their sin. And not only his sin, but the sin of himself. He understood that there was absolutely nothing that he could do at this point, but to pray. Listen, I think we have come to a place in this nation Yes, we stand up and we proclaim boldly the truth of God's word. We, we call, a, uh, we call it what it is. But in reality, we are facing in these days in the church and as a nation and as a culture, a time in which all we can do is be a people of prayer. Because listen, the problem we are facing is much bigger than we are able to accomplish. But what is impossible with man is indeed possible with God. And so he fasted and he prayed. The second sermon, we talked about the request of Nehemiah. In verses 5 to 7, we begin to see the heart of Nehemiah unfold. And so he comes out in the form of prayer. And I gave you four P's of his prayer. In the first one, we saw that he pleaded. He begged God. He begged God that God would hear it shows that he had an understanding of his inability and the ability of Almighty God. And secondly, we saw the praise as he exalted who God was. Make it known that uh, that which God already knows. <laughs> he knows he's all powerful. He's omniscient. He's all able. He, he's able to in a blink of an eye fix the problem at hand. And so he praises God as a way of reminding him and of the people who God is in the face of their difficulties. He said, I beseech you, I plead with you, oh, the Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God. And then he begins to describe the persistence and the, the reality of how God preserves his covenant. And loving kindness to those who love Him, keep His commandments. And then we see the persistence of prayer in Nehemiah's life. The fact that they needed to be more often. A continuation of prayer. He says, let your ear now be attentive. And the prayer of your servant, which I am praying before you now, night and day. 
How many of us in the face of difficulties find ourselves early to rise in prayer and need asking God, begging God, praising God for the circumstances which we face? Listen, it's really easy to grumble and complain about the circumstance. But in reality, unless we are men and women of prayer on our knees in a, in a, more, uh, in, in a more regular basis, we won't accomplish anything. Because it's not us doing the work, it's Almighty God doing the work. And so the last thing we noticed about that was His... His ability to personalize the prayer. Listen to what he says. Let your ear now be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant, which I am praying before you night and day on behalf of the sons uh, the Israel, uh, Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the sons of Israel, which we have sinned. We, he included himself. We have sinned. I have sinned. You have sinned. And so let us, as, as we pray, acknowledge the fact that what scripture already tells us is that there is none righteous. No, not one. We have a great savior, a great Lord. Now, I wasn't saying this was the perfect way to pray, but he is a man of God and he gives us a good example. I don't know about you, but I want to be the best leader that I can be wherever I go. I have seven children who look to me for leadership. I have a wife who looks to me for leadership. A congregation of people. And on down the line, and so do you. Wherever you are, at some point in your life, you will find yourself leading people. And I think it's important for us as leaders to be praying leaders. So moms, pray for your children. God has given you the greatest position ever in the history of humanity. Don't let this culture sell you on the lie that it is not valuable. It is the most valuable position to raise up a generation of godly children, to stand up and to protect your children. We, we, we lack that, don't we? Because we would rather trace, chase the, the material dream to hone in and focus on what's most important, and that's our children. So wherever you lead, whether it's your workplace, lead like Nehemiah in prayer. The third part of the sermon that we'll look at today is the remembrance of Nehemiah. So if you will, let's turn to the book of Nehemiah and look at uh, chapter 1, verse 8 to 11. And so let's begin by reading. Remember the word which I commanded your servant Moses, saying... If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the people. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though those of you who have been scattered, uh, 
have been scattered where in the most remote parts of the heavens, I will gather them from there and I will bring them to the place where I have chosen to cause my name to dwell. They are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. Lord, oh Lord, I beseech you. May your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and the prayer of your servant who delight to revere in your name and make your servant successful today and grant him compassion before this man. Now I was the cupbearer to the king. Now, how many of you as children, are reminded of the saying, if you behave this way, it won't be good for you when I get home. If you fail to behave, when I get home, daddy's going to have a meeting with you. Mr. Pow Pow is going to come out. <laughs> right? Santa Claus. Better be, not be naughty. You won't get none for Christmas. Eat a bunch of coals. Now, listen, those are silly sayings, but there's some truth to that, isn't there? I think there's actually biblical truth in there. And in the midst of Nehemiah's remembrance, he understands the timeless truth in which we see in our lesson today. And that is this. If you obey me, I will bless you. That's pretty simplistic. If you obey me, I will bless you. But if you disobey me, I will curse you. This idea is at the forefront of Nehemiah's mind as he is getting ready to approach the king and ask him some difficult requests. Remember, he's the cupbearer to the king. He's the man who tastes the food and makes sure that the king don't die. So the king is not going to let his people just go freely so easy. No, there was a great trust in that, wasn't there? Not just anybody can fulfill the role of that servant. Listen to what he says in verse 8. Remember the word which you commanded your servant Moses saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. What is he talking about? Well, in order to understand, we need to better understand another chapter of God's word. And that takes us to Leviticus chapters 26, which is what David read. We know that Moses wrote this book and Nehemiah is reminded of what Moses has, has, has spoken. God had spoke to Moses and gave him something there in the first uh, few verses of, of, of Leviticus 26. And this chapter deals with really the blessings if people would be obedient to God and yet later the curse if you did it. And so look what he says in Leviticus 26, verse 
3 and 4. He says, if you walk in my statutes and keep my commandments so as to carry them out, then I shall give you. I will give you this and I will give you that. If you do this, I will bless you here. I will bless you there. If you indeed obey. Nehemiah understands this remembrances of the promises of God. I mean, is that, that's a beautiful promise, really. I mean, if, if I tell my children, if, if I get home and the house ain't clean, Mr. Powell's going to come out. That's a blessing. Because I could just come home and the house be dirty and bring out the powwow. But God in His grace tells us, if you obey, I will bless. It's a beautiful picture of God's grace. So I entitled the sermon, The Remembrance of Nehemiah. Why? Because he remembered what God had said. Let me ask you a question. Why is this important for us today? I mean, this is the law, right? This is Leviticus. We're not under the law, but we're under grace. Jesus made some promises, didn't he? He made some claims. Whoever calls upon in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ shall be saved. Shall we tell the other side of that, the opposite side of that? Whoever does it will not be saved. You, you just think about all of the blessings that we see in the New Testament, the promises of God, promises of Christ. They're beautiful. So, so why is this important? Because we are no longer under the law, but under grace. God is the same. God is not changing. He is the same today as He will be tomorrow. He is the same as He was at creation as He is today. He remains the same. You see, God desires for us today as He did for them. He desires that as young men, as teenagers, as young children, as middle-aged, as older age, as older, older age, that we are to keep His Word. I love the passage of Scripture that says, preach the Word in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke with great patience and instruction, knowing that there will come a time when, when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will what? Accumulate for themselves teachers and according to their own desires. They'll gather for themselves teachers that will push an agenda to captivate, to capitalize. And that's okay. We can be invited and we can preach the truth in those atmospheres. The command is to preach the Word, to speak truth, to reveal the lies and the errors. We've been bought into this thing where if somebody is preaching a false doctrine, we're not to say anything like, oh, you know, don't say anything about it. No, we are to stand for the truth of God's word. 
Because listen, it is living and active and it is sharper than a double-edged sword. We are called to stand up for the truth of God's word and to obey it. Why? Because it is good and it is pleasing and it is the living and active word of God. So why does it matter? Because it matters. Because he says, sanctify them in truth. Thy word is truth. Yeah, we're no longer under the law. We're under grace. The law is good. Shows us our need for a Savior. Why? Because the Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The word sin in the original is hamartia. It means you've missed the mark. The Bible says we have sinned, we have missed the mark and fallen short of the glory of God. You may do your best ability to hit the bullseye, but the reality is there's no one in this room will ever hit the bullseye. But Christ did. Christ did. So why is it important? Well, it's important because Christ calls us to be obedient to his word. Nehemiah understood in this reminder, it's those that failed to follow the leading of God, the commandments of the Lord. He says it's those that will be scattered. And I think what we're seeing in our nation is a, is a, is a, is a Christianity that has departed from the word of God. And what's happening? They're being scattered. They're being tossed to and fro from every whim of doctrine. He's given us His living and active Word. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He is the embodiment of the living Word. And in His Word there is power. Wonder-working power. And so Nehemiah understands that those who fail to obey will be scattered. But even those who have been scattered, listen, God can still be glorified because He always has a remnant. He always has His people positioned strategically so that the truth may be go forth and be abound. God's righteous right hand, even in the midst of trials, is the same that comforts, delivers, and lifts up. The first part of Leviticus 26 deals with the blessing of obedience. The second part deals with the penalties of disobedience. But I bet there are some here today that are dealing with penalties because of disobedience. And I bet there are some that are here that are enjoying the blessings because of obedience. Because it's the promises of God. Now, I didn't say if you obey, you will get a Ferrari. You might get a Volkswagen Bug. But we can be, we can trust that God will provide all of our needs if we seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these other things will be given to us. So I believe that we are facing a day when we see the obedience of the Christian walking out and God pouring out His blessing upon us. You know why? Because I can see many of you when you walk through the difficult circumstances of life and you face the uncertain truths that come and bombard down on you that even in the midst of the trial, it's like you have x-ray vision and you can see right through the problem because there's a living hope at the end. Our joy is not bound up in our circumstances. We just have a living Savior who conquered death. Nehemiah is dealing in this section 
with the penalties of disobedience. His nation, his people have been disobedient. And the result is that they are in distress. Their walls and their cities have been burned down. Is there a more relevant message for today? What, what are we facing in America? I mean, how, I mean, now that things have seemed to change a little bit, you don't see the cities being burned as much. But you can better bet when it doesn't go the right ways, that's what's going to happen. The enemy is in the camp. <laughs> We've let them right in the country. Right? We must stand for truth. It's just vital. And so the first part of Leviticus, again, deals with this blessings of obedience. Nehemiah 1.3, it says, The remnant there in the province who survived the captivity are in great distress and the walls of Jerusalem are broken down and its gates are burned with fire. Why are they going through this? Why are they facing these great trials of life? Why are they struggling in face of their circumstances? Well, it boils down to their unwillingness to obey the things which God has already commanded. And I wonder, only you can evaluate your own life. I wonder how many of us are going through difficulties because of our unwillingness to obey God. We, we got it figured out, right? Lord, you know, I need you, but not right now. I got this. And we go off on our own little route and our own little ways because we have our own dreams and we have our own admonitions and, and desires and hopes. And we, we, we have all these great ambitions. And we have to ask ourselves the question, is that what God even wants from us? Have we considered, have we gotten on our knees and asked God what it is that He wants for our lives? Because I believe many times we go out on our own abilities, in our own strength. And then when we fail, we go, God, where were you? Well, I never told you to go there. <laughs> but we still worship a good God even in the midst of those times. We're looking at a leader that remembers who God is and how God works. He remembers the wrath of God. I know that's not, we don't talk about that anymore. It doesn't draw, it doesn't draw numbers. <laughs> right? I was sitting on a plane with a young lady. And you know me. God's, God has taught me how to shut my mouth and to listen. I'm not very good at it, but I'm certain that's why he gave me one mouth and two ears. But this gal, she began to tell me right out of the gate, you know, I just, I'm all about the grace of God. When somebody says that, I'm already like red flags start going up. Ding, ding. I'm all about the grace of God too. I love God's grace. But listen, if we don't have a proper perspective of His wrath, what good is grace? So we've eliminated wrath and we talk about grace, grace, God's grace. That's great. It is. Every single one of us in this room love the grace of God. But we cannot eliminate the wrath of God. He is the same yesterday as He is today. And Nehemiah understood that God was a God, yes, of grace, but first of wrath. That's where He went first. And so, 
He remembers the promises of Leviticus 26. Verse 4 says, I shall give you rains in their season. That's provision, isn't it? So that the land will yield its produce. And the trees of the field will bear fruit. That's provision. I don't know, I'm not a farmer, but Mr. Don, I'm pretty certain that when things grow and produce is growing, that's provision, God's blessing, isn't it? Amen. So we see all the way from verse 4 all the way to verse 12. And he says, I will walk among you and be your God and you shall be my people. There's blessing. This is God of promise to those, listen, that obey God, that obey His Word. Listen, too many times in our culture, we disobey God and wonder why in the world God is doing this to me. When God just said, go ahead and do what you want. When God desires to be our God, to be our provider, to be our people, to be our director, to give us our guidance, to show us the way. Too many times we want to do it on our own way. And the result is it doesn't turn out like we think it should. And that's problematic. But I'm like you, I think. I want victory. I want to live the victorious Christian life. I want peace and comfort. I want to live in a land that is secure, where the walls are not broken down, where the gates are not destroyed, where the enemy just comes to and fro as it wishes. I want to be a people. I want to be a church, listen, that bears fruit. I want to be all that God desires of me. And I believe that you want the very same thing. And I want you to know you can have that. But it comes from obedience. It comes from a life that is sold out to Jesus. Because you are spirit filled. You have been given everything pertaining to life and to godliness. Where you can indeed walk in victory. So how about us? Do we look at God the same way Nehemiah did as a God of promise? I believe that when we do, listen, we'll begin to repent. This is why I say our nation is in trouble because it's a moral issue. And only God Almighty can change the wicked hearts of men. Information without application is meaningless. The gospel... Is the power to save. The gospel is the power to turn darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they might receive forgiveness of their sins who are set apart by what? Faith in Christ. If we want a nation, if we want the church to turn back to God, it begins with the gospel permeating the hearts of people because what we have is a moral issue. And no man, no message, no method will ever change the heart of a man. Only the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
It should permeate our mouth in every opportunity we have. Because it is the only power that accomplishes the work of a heart change, regeneration, being made new, union with Christ, justification, being made right before God. So do we look at the same way at God as Nehemiah did? A leader who understood that his, that his deal was to call the people to repentance. I believe that when we do, we will repent more often of our sins. The beauty is when we're saved by the gospel, we are changed from the inside out. We have a secure salvation. And when we repent, as 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And we can walk and be all that God wants us to be. As a people, as a family, as a husband, as a wife, as children, as a church, as a nation, as a community, you name it, wherever it is. It's The reality is that we must be obedient to God. God is the God of love. God is the God of mercy. And yet the same God, listen, He will lay cities in ruin. And He will do whatever it takes to draw the attention back to Himself. He shares His glory with no one. No one. All hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate fall. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him. Crown him Lord of all. He is the king of glory. He is almighty God. And he is in the business of doing mighty work. And listen to the warning, America. If you do not change your ways, he will not relent. His judgment We are heading down the same road as a people. Let us, like Nehemiah, be reminded of this message of God that was given to his servant Moses. Remember the word which you commanded your servant, verse 8, the servant Moses saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the people. This is indeed a warning, but please remember God is always, even though a God of wrath is still a God of mercy. Notice the change here in verse 9. But (laughs) if you return to me, and keep my commandments and do them. Though those of you who have been scattered were in the most remote part of the world, I don't care how far away from God you are. If you repent and turn to God, He will draw you back to Himself. That's the beauty of the gospel. If God can save me, He can save you. If he can save Saul, turn him to Paul. He can save you. He can save anybody. He is God Almighty and he does as he pleases for his glory. But we must turn back. If you return to me, 
If you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, those of you who've been scattered, we're in the most remote part of the world, I will gather them. I love how God is still in control. God is the one gathering. God is the one doing the work. I will bring them to a place where I have chosen my name to dwell. God is still in control. There is an exception clause, but... And Nehemiah makes a choice. He believes that this can be his people. And I believe this can be you. I believe that no matter what circumstances you've allowed into your life, no matter how hideous the sin, no matter how difficult the circumstances, no, no matter what the world may think about it, listen to me very clearly. If you repent of your sins and turn to Christ, He will make you new. He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Listen, I believe this for our church, for each one of you. I believe this for our nation. It's a message that I believe with all of my heart. You know, years ago when I stepped out of the business world and into the ministry, Someone said, you left everything. I said, I did. But God gained me the world. I gained everything. Why? Because when I die, nothing goes with me. But I can store up treasures in heaven. And after our 4 o'clock a.m. Friday morning Bible extravaganza with Brother Lynn... Everybody else is tucked away sleeping. I had a eight o'clock a.m. gospel presentation on Telegram. I didn't want to wake up. <laughs> but with the help of my wife, making sure I was awake from afar, she's still my helper. I was able to share the gospel that morning and two people got saved. Listen, God has given us the opportunities. If we will be willing to take them, and the proclamation of the gospel. And he will do a mighty work in you and through you for his glory. God is doing this work. And he can do it in you, in your workplace, in your communities, wherever you uh, have your recreational time, the gymnasium. He can do it at family events, your friend's, your friend's house at dinner. Listen. We need to stop for a moment. We are, do you, you ever been there where just life is so fast that you just want to spread your legs out and stop everything from moving so I can get a break? Like, stop. We need to do that. We need to stop. All of the whirlwind, all of the material things, all of the ambition to be something more than God has intended us to be. You will be just who God intended you to be if you'll be faithful to who He intended you to be. And we need to stop focusing on the things of the world and put a hold on it and begin to look in the eyes of people and realize that every single soul will stand before Almighty God and you may be the vessel for which He chooses to share the hope of Jesus Christ. But it's going to take stopping. 
the bombardment. As I watched the security work, there was an entourage, a bombarding like Elvis. We need to pray for Brother Lynn and his security team. But that's exactly how the world comes at us. And you and me, we need to be like that for one another. We need to be standing guard, protecting each other from the attacks of the enemy. Now, there was no attacks of the enemy, but you understand what I'm saying. Because they're coming faster than we can deal with. And there's no way in the world one man could have did that job. There's no way we can survive without one another. We need the protection of each other. Because the enemy is crafty. He doesn't come looking like some demon. No, he comes crafty like a serpent. There was nothing more crafty than the serpent. It wasn't until after he went on his belly. What did he look like before? So we need to make sure that we are standing ground for one another. We need to encourage one another to stop chasing these things and that thing. Listen, no matter how far you're gone, you can be restored if you will return. And I suggest this. For those in Christ, it's repenting of your sins, believing the gospel for which you already have hope, and restoring so that you can have no uh, hindrance between you and the Lord because you are indwelt with the Spirit of God. And when you're indwelt, listen, when you sin, there's conviction and there is discipline of the Lord. If there is no conviction, if there is no discipline, then you're an illegitimate child and you don't have the Holy Spirit because you can't have the Holy Spirit and not have conviction. So when you're convicted, you confess that sin, you restore that so that you and the Lord can be walking together in the spirit, not in the flesh, because the flesh sets the desires against the spirit because they're in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things you want to do. That's the Christian. For the unbeliever, repent and believe the gospel. It's that simple. The death, the burial, and the resurrection. God left heaven and to establish a way to restore because of your sin, your brokenness, your separation from God, which Isaiah 59, 2 says, your sin has made a separation between you and your God and his face has turned from you. He didn't even hear you. And there's no way man in his best ability cannot reestablish that relationship. And so God sees your inability. He sees the necessity for the great and mighty Savior, Jesus Christ. And so he sends his son in the form of flesh and bridges the gap for which now you can access the Lord Jesus Christ through salvation. And you can become a child of God and receive forgiveness for your sins who are set apart by faith alone in Christ alone by grace alone for the glory of God alone that's what you need to do believe the gospel and be safe for it is a power of salvation 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says and Paul says I didn't come to baptize but to preach the gospel in chapter 1 you can be restored if you will return to God I want to be in a place and I want to be a man where God's name can dwell. 
If you will obey, this will happen. And if you don't obey, that will happen. Every one of us will have to make a choice all week long, every week, every day. Where's God calling you to submit today? Will you obey? Where's God calling you to forgive today? Will you obey? Where is God calling you to give today? Will you obey? Where is God calling you to turn your head and look the other way? Will you obey? Where is God calling you to remain silent? Will you obey? Listen, God desires to bless you. That's his hope. That's his desire. But you must be obedient. You must walk in the admonition of the Lord for His glory. God wants to see you succeed and become a kingdom man and woman for His glory. I like how Nehemiah in the midst of his remembrance speaks to God in prayer on their behalf. It says in verse 10, They are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. Nehemiah remembers the promises of God. Nehemiah knows that even in their disobedience, God has made a promise to them. If you will return, I will bless you. So he pleads with God to turn the ship the other way so that they would be blessed by Almighty God. Listen, you can try to the fullest of your ability to keep the law. You can't do it. God knows that. Uh, flip over to Hebrews. Uh, I'll tell you what, go to Romans 8 first. Bible drill. When you get there, say amen. 834. All right. If you don't have a Bible, mm. it's like going to a dinner without food. I'm just messing with you. Verse 38. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And then look what he says in 34. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is who died. Yes, rather who raised, who is at the right hand of God who also intercedes for us. Christ is at the right hand of the Father, interceding, pleading on your behalf when you don't even know what to pray. Whatever trouble you find yourself, whatever circumstance you are facing today, I want you to know that there is Christ at the right hand of the Father, interceding on your behalf. Flip over to Hebrews uh, chapter 7. When you get there, say amen. All right. 
And we're going to look at verse 24 and 25. I'll start in 23. The former priest, on the one hand, existed in greater number because they were prevented by death from continuing. But Jesus, on the other hand, because He continues forever... There's eternality of Jesus Christ, by the way. There's deity passage. Mark that down, circle it, highlight it. Preach that to the cults. Because he continues forever, holds his priesthood permanently. Therefore, he is able also to save forever those who draw near to God through Him, since He always lives to make intercession for them. Christ is interceding on our behalf. He intercedes for you and for me. Listen, like the Galatian church, there will be many that will try. There will be many that will push their ideas that they can in their own methods and in their own ways receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That they can be regenerated. That they can be revitalized. That they can be made new. That they can become in union with Christ, in Christ. I've been crucified with Christ and no longer live, but it is Christ who lives in me. There will be many who will uh, acknowledge certain facts about Jesus, but they will never put their faith in Jesus, the person in the work of Christ. And they will try to push their ideas, but listen, they will fail. They will fail. And they will be reminded, whether in this life or the life to come, that it is God who redeems. Listen, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Be not dismayed, friends. The Lord will prevail. You can bow out of the grace that's been given you today or you can bow on the other side when He will say, depart from me for I never knew you, you workers of lawlessness. And oh, what a day it will be of rejoicing when all of the enemies, all of the evil that has permeated this nation, our lives. We met so many people this week whose children have been ripped from them. It's devastating. But let me tell you, Romans 12 says, vengeance is mine. I will repay. Thus says the Lord. And when God speaks, He means business. Don't be discouraged. He is going to pull their card and they will, as Second Thessalonians says, He will pour out His retribution onto those who do not believe the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as a result of not believing the gospel of Jesus Christ, they are like those in the last of the last days who are lovers of self. They are sinfully separated and wicked, and there is no limit to their wickedness. There is no limit. God desires you to be blessed as a Christian, as His child. He desires to bless the church. He wants to give you victory over your enemies. 
God desires to provide for you. God wants you to have peace and not fear. And a, a lady who was out of her mind, frightened. I said, ma'am, listen, faith and fear can't cohabitate. You gotta get run, you gotta get rid of one. And I suggest you get rid of fear and live on faith. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make straight your path. He is in absolute sovereign control. We must be reminded that God indeed wants you to be blessed. He wants you to become a child of God. And if you, and if you are a child of God, He wants you to walk in victory. There's no temptation that is overtaking you, but that which is common to man. And God will indeed provide a way of escape that guarantees you victory. If you will follow him, if you will return to him. And if you've never trusted the gospel, oh, today is the day of salvation. No man will be justified by their deeds. And so Nehemiah pleads with God and he says in verse 11, Oh Lord, I beseech you, may your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and the prayer of your servants who delight to revere in your name. Can we say that we are the servants of God who delight to revere His name? Then let us pray together and beseech, Oh Lord! Yeah. We need to do that. Make your servant successful today and grant him compassion before this man. And he finishes, now I was the cupbearer to the king. He is asking God in the context, just like he did before, to hear his request but notice Nehemiah is seeking God's attention. Why? He desires God not only to hear his prayers, but those of those his servants who delight to revere the Lord's name. That's a great detail. It's very small, tucked in there. But take note, Nehemiah knows that it's going to take not only his prayers, but the prayers of the people. The prayers of the people. Because when we come together in prayer, this is why the devil don't like prayer. This is why prayer meetings are the most short experience event of the week. The devil don't like it. So he distracts you with this and he distracts you with that. And he says, well, yeah, I got no time for that. I got to be here. I got to do this. I got to do this. Listen, every single one of us have the same thing. We have a calendar. And we schedule those things which are what? Important. I like Chick-fil-A. And that which I want, I get, except on Sunday. Because <laughs> they're closed. <laughs> but the reality is this. Our priorities are the very things we do. And what we've learned here from Nehemiah is that if we are going to have success as brothers and sisters in the Lord, we are going to have to come together in prayer because this is a battle that we cannot fight on our own. And so when we come together and we pray, 
then we go out with victory. Because if we go out without prayer, God can do more in five minutes of prayer than we can do in five years. I'll give you proof. We've been praying in this church for revival. And uh, I preached a sermon called, Would You Like to Know God as Your Friend? You all heard it, most likely. I preach it every Friday at 9 o'clock on Telegram to 60, 70 people on average. I preached that message seven years ago. I have a, an account called Buzzsprout. It's where I store all my data. And that sermon's been uploaded for seven years. And you know, I didn't really think about it. Praying that God would use that platform to glorify Himself. I probably prayed about it seven years ago and then kind of leaked out as sit in the background. Well, when our Telegram account went up to 31,000 plus subscribers, I thought, hey, let me repost that. And let me tell you, in less than seven hours, it surpassed seven years. Why? Because there have been men and women of prayer. We have to pray and we have to work, but we can't negate either one. They go hand in hand. It's like going into battle without a sword. You would be a fool. We have to pray and we have to work. We have to pray and we have to work. And we work. We don't worry about the outcome. We work. We serve. We proclaim the truth. And we allow God to go and do the work. We are just the vessels. But in order to do that, you must be on God's side. You must believe the gospel. Are you willing to pray and obey? To put your faith in Christ? Because I can promise you, if we come together in prayer on God's agenda, there is nothing that would be impossible. Nothing. But it will take place. As those kids sang last week, this is how we fight our battle. On our knees. So we'll see you Monday at prayer meeting. And if you're not there, you missed out on a blessing. And if you can't make it Monday, be there Sunday morning before. I can't be there because i got to kind of prepare for the sermon. But I want to encourage you. Get involved in prayer. If you, okay, I can't make it here. Okay, have a prayer meeting at your house at the same time so we can pray in communion from afar. Right? Get in your prayer closet. Because I can promise you, if we think God's doing amazing things now, Oh, behold the glory of God if we actually came together and prayed as brothers and sisters for His glory. Oh, He would open the floodgates. There would be a true revival in this nation. And I'm not just talking, listen, this is just one element of the body of Christ. The body of Christ isn't the church. The body of Christ is the people. And there are a lot of Christians scattered throughout this nation. If we would come together, oh, it would be frightening of what could be accomplished for His glory. But it would be to the glory of God for the prayers of righteous men and women living a way that honors Christ. This has been Getting in the Word with Pastor Stuart Guthrie. Thank you for listening to our weekly podcast. 
And be sure to visit us online at familybiblefellowship.org. And come see us in person on Sundays at 11 a.m.